0: Hello! Hello! Welcome Thank to Pop Tart. It's subversion inside of subversion. <laughs> I thought I invented homosexuality.
1: That always had the bird note. Like everybody's a little nuts now.
0: Ripped the breath from my body. I'm Emily Rams. I'm Callie Watt. We're both editors of Bust Magazine here in Brooklyn, New York. We love talking to each other about pop culture. We love talking to you about pop culture.
1: And I'm Penny Arcade, in case you don't know, because I haven't been introduced. I'm the guest.
0: Penny Arcade (laughs) is the guest. I'm the stranger. We could not be more excited to have her here at Bust HQ. Our guest is a true downtown New York performance legend.
1: International legend.
0: That's right. Penny Arcade began her career as a teen actor in the 1960s at the avant-garde Playhouse of the Ridiculous. She performed at La Mama and as one of Andy Warhol's factory superstars before establishing herself as queen of the underground performance art scene. First,
1: I was the princess.
0: Now the queen.
1: (laughs) Now the queen.
0: As a writer, director, and performer, uh, feminism, intellectualism, and rebellion have always been at the forefront of her work. And when I was a teen in Virginia and a college student in Boston, I would read all about her shows in The Village Voice and in paper. I would read about bitch, dyke, fag, hag, whore. I would read about love, sex, and sanity. I would read about Mm. bad reputation. And I would dream about moving to the East Village. I would dream about meeting Penny Arcade one day. And that day has arrived. now. We're living it. And I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you so much for visiting us, Penny Arcade.
1: You remind me of all those Riot girls that were my fans who were 11 years old. and <laughs> Like, they were 11 years old in like 1993 and then like in 2000. And that was like, the 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 feminism that first time that I could identify with um I mean dare I say institutionalized feminism because while I've always been a feminist I just could not get with second wave feminism I really um did not relate to it probably because I was working class and when Robin Morgan took me aside when I was 17 and tried to pull me into her into her feminist lair on East 6th Street <laughs> She, her explanation to me was, well, we don't want to be housewives. And me, coming from an immigrant peasant, working class, single family, immigrant Italian household, I was like, wow, my mother would love to be a housewife. So <laughs> my feminism didn't kind of click with second wave feminism. Mm-hmm. But then when I was doing Bitch Dyke, Fag, Hag, Whore in Boston, Massachusetts in 1992, Tenuvial, who was like, you know, one of the heart center riot girl originators in Olympia became my crew. And she was very shy and she didn't really talk to me. And then the last the last show, the last night of the last show, she handed me a bunch of zines and whispered, we need you to come to Olympia and lead the riot girl revolution. And I had no idea what she was talking about. And I went back to my hotel and I started reading these zines. And because I am preternaturally always a 14 year old girl, Mm -hmm. uh, my heart just rose. Like, I was like, oh my God, I understand this. This is, wow, I found my feminism. You know, and it's really funny because, um, you know, then I met uh, Kathleen Hanna and I met the, the women from. Uh, Bratmobile, but I think they weren't, you know, I was like um, 43 and they were like 23. And I think that for all of their, um, I think for all of their, you know, hero worship of older women, they really were picking and choosing who those, who that hero hero worship would be, you know, probably somebody with a record deal Um, and uh, not to be mean, just to be blunt, you know. Um, that's the way the world works. That's the way the world works everywhere, and I've always said the failure of feminism is how women betray women. The one thing most feminists girl won't talk crime. about. Yeah, it's what people won't talk about.
0: Um, obviously, you're you're completely worthy of hero worship. For our younger listeners yeah. who have not entered the cult of Penny Arcade yet,
1: well, they Penny- don't have to. And and also, this is also a thing. This is, you know, I I love it that there are people who don't know who I am. Wouldn't it be
0: sad if everybody knew who you were? I mean, that would be like... Yeah, then you couldn't just go without makeup to get coffee in the morning.
1: But not even that. That's not what I mean. I think it's just more about someone thinks are really famous right now. In 15 years, nobody will know who they are. And yet there's me who every single decade since the 60s has managed to still be performing, still getting new fans, and to be still developing. And I'm going to be 70. Next year, I just turned 69. Mazel. I know, hello. And <laughs> I am in the youth of my old age. And one of the things that I know and I finally understood was that um, fame really wasn't the thing I wanted. You have to want fame to become famous. Really? Mm-hmm. Yes, okay. absolutely. It's got to be a very it's a very specific thing. You have to want that. Because de- developing as an artist is a whole other thing.
0: Mm. You know, it takes actual time and work. And yeah, it's
1: called the art. It's it. it, This is also for all of you listening who are not artists. I mean, because just becoming who you are takes time. It's the arc of development. You know, if you're 22 years old or 32 or 42 or even 52 years old and you're listening to this, that is not who you're going to be when Mm -hmm. you're 70, you know, and it's all cumulative. It's cumulative. You
0: came from Connecticut. You, were, you mentioned no. that you were from an Italian family.
1: Okay. I was an immigrant Italian child, first person born in my family, um, with a family, like many families, with with a lot of secrets. And then I became the fulcrum point for those secrets because I was very sensitive. And so I was like a problem, Became I was like a really smart girl who became kind of a problem child. And then... Ran away from home when I was 13 because I was bullied at school because apparently I was very pretty and then I became like the town whore, even though I never had sex with anybody, which is very interesting because I just went to my 50th high school reunion.
0: And were you like, fuck you? No,
1: because you see, I didn't graduate from high school. Oh, right. (laughs) But they all think I was there. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, they forgot that they hounded me out of that town. Or as I say, in my in my spoken word piece, take it on myself. I say, I was 13 when I started, ran away, and I departed from that town where I was martyred. See, I took it on myself. I took it on myself. So, then I got put in, in, in um I ran away, and then I got caught, and then I got put in, um in reform school with nuns, reform school with nuns, Sacred Heart Academy for Wayward Girls. I'm not making this up. <laughs> and, that's where I started writing theater because all those nuns were really young and they were monastic, meaning they didn't deal with the outside world, they only dealt with the girls. So it was, I've always wanted to make a Disney movie out of that because <laughs> it was really, really crazy. Mm-hmm. And then when I got out of there, I was 16 and I went home and I like lasted about three months. Then I just quit school and then I just started going to gay bars constantly. And then one night in the middle of the night in June of 1969, when I was, in June of 1966, when I was 16 years old, um, carload of Queens drove up and said, pack some drag, Joe, we're going to Provincetown. And I said, what's Provincetown? And they said, it's the gayest summer resort anywhere. <laughs> and I said, really? And I got in the car and we drove all night. And you and said then, you were 16? Yeah, I was 16. That's John Waters' face, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. where John goes, Yeah. And then we were there that weekend and we ruled the streets of P-Town, scaring everybody. And then on Monday morning, they packed the car and I'm like, where are you going? They said, we're going. I said, why why would you leave? Yeah, why would you go? And so then I stayed in P-Town and then I was homeless all summer. Nobody knows homeless. I hid it from everybody. I don't know how I ate. I think gay boys from around the world were having vacations fed me and some of them let me crash in their Rooms and stuff, and then that fall, I ended up in New York City, and within about seven or eight months, I ended up in the Playhouse, the Ridiculous, and then I became a Warhol superstar. And then I got really bored with all of that, and I went to live in Spain uh, on an island called Formentera, and I was doing rock and roll there. And And in Amsterdam too, right? In Amsterdam too, yeah. And then um, I went to live in Maine in the woods with no running water and no electricity. I did that for about four years. And then I was running a theater in Maine. And then it was time to come back to New York. So then when I was 30, I came back to New York and I started making my own work. And what is my own work? My own work is rock and roll theater, cultural criticism you can dance to. (laughs) I'm the person who created the international burlesque movement with my show, Bitch, Dyke, Fag, Hag, Whore. But I didn't have burlesque dancers in my show. I had strippers down in dirty erotica because I'm not really that interested in burlesque because burlesque is what it's always been, acceptable sexualized female dance. I like the kind of erotica that scares people, that's really fierce and really woman power and really goddess energy. And and a lot of my shows recreates that energistic feeling of a strip club and what is that energistic feeling penny well (laughs) everybody's welcome everybody's money's good that means anybody can go there and that means it's friendly so a penny arcade show always has two elements it's really 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 friendly and it feels really really dangerous
0: and some of the the neo burlesque superstars that we're familiar with now like Dirty Martini. Yeah, they came, all worked with me. Came from your show.
1: Well, they they all came to work with me when they were basically starting out and I did something that no performer, other performer does beside me. And that is I introduce everybody who works with me by name to the audience so that the audience forms their own relationships with those people.
0: So if we could backtrack just briefly yeah. um, to your Warhol Superstar days, yeah, you were in... Women in Revolt, which is a hilarious and weird movie. It is. You were in there with Candy Darling and Jackie Curtis and Holly Woodlawn. Right. And that movie is so funny because it's a spoof of feminism. Well, the thing that's interesting about it is that
1: Andy and Paul Morrissey, more more Andy. Now you have to remember this is after he was shot. Nineteen seventy one. But well yeah, but it wasn't shot. It was it was shot in nineteen seventy. You know, Andy had just 1968 Andy had been shot you know by Valerie Salinas who was mm-hmm. a feminist and a man-hating feminist so Paul really is a super right-wing kind of person
0: I Al- didn't realize that Yeah
1: always has been yeah yeah he, he's the kind of person when he saw me reading the New York Times said what does that commie rag have to say oh now my Oh my
0: god. god I didn't know that about him yeah, that's so yeah, weird
1: Yeah yeah it's
0: really pretty funny
1: And so what they thought they were doing by casting Holly, Jackie, and Candy in the lead roles was to make fun and demean feminism. But actually what happened, and I I point this out to everybody all the time, is that Jackie Curtis, who was my best friend at that time, and had been my best friend, Um, Jackie was a super brilliant person, raised on the Lower East Side, Uh, From the real, like, you know, Lower East Side, like, take a pail to the Bowery and get your father a pail of beer, Lower East Side, (laughs) right? Um, Jackie's first monologue in that film about feminism, to me, is one of the greatest statements ever made about feminism.
0: And they were joking, but it was for real. Jackie was
1: a feminist. Jackie was raised by her grandmother, Slugger Ann, who was one of the most famous saloon keepers of the Lower East Side. Both her mothers were taxi dancers, you know, 10, 10 cents a dance ladies, you know, just short of turning tricks, you know. Um, Jackie was raised in, in a very female centric household and Jackie loved women and Jackie understood feminism. So in that film it really there is this real um, push of feminism in me. I'm you know there were there was no script. You know, the, never any scripts. And in that film, I I start talking about, well, and, you know, and this was not something people talked, people didn't talk this way then. We were really bringing it, you know, even though their dream, Andy, and, um, and Paul's dream was to make fun of feminism. So I just think that that was kind of a really, you know, um, um, not just rebellious, but it was like it's a subversion detourine. inside it, it, of subversion. It was subversion inside of it subversion. It makes my brain explode <laughs> exactly. to hear you talk about it. Yeah, no, it's cool. And it's cool that you came up because I couldn't find it. Subversion inside of subversion. Exactly. Oh. Well said.
0: Oh, it's so amazing. I feel like it, it's something that gave me that tingly feeling when I was watching it, but to hear you confirm it is beyond exciting.
1: But women are feared and women, people are intimidated. People are super intimidated by me, which I always find really odd because I'm such a friendly person, you know? But I am going to say the truth, but I'm not I'm not gonna try to demean somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, but if you're demeaned by the truth, I don't know what kind of person you are. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, when someone tells me the truth, you know, even if I don't like it, in the famous words of the great Adrian Rich and everyone listening to this podcast must immediately go out and buy the book women and honor some notes on lying by adrian rich because that's that that book was kind of what i based my personal uh, philosophy and behavior on from when i was 24 i bought it when i was 24 years old and there was actually a feminist bookstore in the west village it's just amazing and she says that when someone tells us the truth we don't like it but we get that sea cold brush of freshness in our face you know that that we want we i think as human beings we crave truth if it also means that we will be accepted in love it's that many times people think that if somebody tells you the truth it means you're going to be excluded You know, but that's not the lineage that I come from. I come from the lineage of, yeah, I tell you exactly what I think because I want you to, I want to be able to be around you. I don't want to have to like hide what I think because you're not going to like it and not be my friend.
0: I would like to talk about one of your friends for a moment. You mentioned briefly before that you said that you're the queen of the underground. You used to be the princess. I saw an interview with you. I think it was from a few years ago when you said that you were the princess of the underground because Australian painter Valley Myers was the queen. Valley Myers was the queen, yeah. Could you talk about Valley Myers a little bit and your friendship with Valley?
1: Well, I think everybody should immediately Google Valley who's listening. Valley Myers, uh, it's the funniest story of how I met Valley Myers. So I was on LSD and I was up all night on LSD and I was living on St. Mark's Place and I went out at like, seven in the morning or something, to buy cigarettes at Gem Spa. And I walk outside, and across the street I see this person with this huge mass of henna red hair, slender, wearing what looks like leggings. And believe me, in in 1969, nobody wore leggings, Mm -hmm. okay? But this person was wearing leggings, and they kind of looked like a pirate, you know, (laughs) with like voluminous sleeves. And a beautiful girl face, and she was tattooed with a curly Q mustache and Berber marks, which are dots, three dots under her eyes, and some dots between her her eyebrows, and some dots on her chin, and this big, curly Q tattooed mustache. And I thought, whoa, that acid was like really strong. (laughs) And then two or three days later, I was in Maxis, Kansas City, and I was sitting at a table, and I was talking with somebody who was across from me, and that person who was across from me moved to talk to somebody else, like leaned to his left, talked to somebody, and the person who's back to us was at the other table behind him, turned around, and it was Valley. And she went, hello, love. (laughs) And I went, oh my God. She's real. Like, I thought I had, like, you know, yeah. hallucinated her. And at that time, Valley Myers was um, probably in her early 40s, and she was a very famous painter and had been a famous painter since the 50s. Patti Smith pretty much patterned herself on Valley. She always says she patterned herself on Keith Richards, which she did by cutting her hair like Keith Richards, but Valley... Was who she was really like? Kind of ghosting, and um, and, and Patty has talked about Valley. And if you uh, are Googling right now, uh, Google uh, move those images around till you come to the picture of Valley with her face in the mirror looking at herself, and there you'll see like the early touch of Patty Smith. And so she was this phenomenal painter. She had been a famous dancer. She was the the lead dancer of the Melbourne Modern Company in 1950, the year I was born. And she had decided to go to Paris. And so in 1950, she went to Paris and she was the first generation, what they called the lost generation of people who were dancing with Africans in like nightclubs and basements of Paris, wearing men's shirts and blue jeans. So she was like the first... Wave of girls who wore blue jeans. Okay, so we're talking nineteen fifty.
0: Was that Teddy girls?
1: No, Teddy girls. I
0: think came later. I
1: think okay. that's more of like a early sixties English thing. But um, this was like the at the lost generation. And a, a man, a photographer, a Dutch photographer named uh, Ed van Elsker, did a book called the Lost. I think called the lost, Love, Lo- oh, Love on the Love on the Left Bank. It's very expensive, very hard to find, but I think they've done reprints of it. And there are just zillions of photos of Valley And she was ex- extremely beautiful. And, you know, by her own admission, she spent, like, that she became very depressed at some period, which I guess was the existential thing that was going on in 1950. And then she was, like, taking a lot of opium and drawing these black and white um, drawings. She made very small drawings. There are miniatures that she did with quill and ink. Quill and ink. Yeah, really, I mean, it's outrageous. I'll also tell you right now, before I continue, just to say there's a fantastic book um, called Valley Myers by Gianni Mancetti um, that is was published. Gianni Mancetti is my age, so he's 20 years younger than Valley. Um, he lived in the actual Valley that Valley Myers lived in in southern Italy in Positano, which was filled with animals. Valley was a vegetarian and she had a pig and a donkey and like, I don't know, 50 dogs, you oh. know, she also was like Saint Francis of Assisi. like animals came to her. she had she tamed the fox who was her companion Foxy. Frogs would come to her like, She just was one of these people. That's witchy energy. No, she's super witchy. Hello. But this kid, who was 16 at the time, who was from northern Italy, stumbled into this valley, and valley took him in. He became the caretaker of the animals. She was still married to this guy named Rudy, who was a a Viennese guy. And then slowly, Rudy was out of the picture. She became lovers with Gianni. And they lived in this pavilion, which had been like from the maybe 1700s, that was this pavilion, like a hunter's pavilion, where noblemen would go out hunting, and then maybe it would rain, so they'd take shelter in this little pavilion. No, ele- They had electricity, they had no heat, and it was a valley that opened up to the sea. Mm-hmm. It's quite an extraordinary place. Anyways, Gianni memorized everything Valley said. His, his raison d'être was to be this receptacle container of Valley's history and philosophy, and he remembered it all. He learned how to speak English from her reading, you know, um, poems to him, you know, from Yeats and like you know she she knew these poems by heart, and I mean she was this extraordinary creature painting by candlelight. With a quill and ink, these incredibly intricate paintings that are so very beautiful, which you can actually get, because there are some people who are trying to keep Valley's work and name alive. And Valley made a lot of prints during two different periods of her life. And if you go on eBay and you type in Valley Myers, you can get one of those original runs of prints for like 150 bucks or something. I'm serious it's unbelievable do it and you'll be supporting Valley's memory and people trying to you know keep her her archive together so Valley was in by 1951 we're going a little bit back here so she was uh, featured her her drawings these very dark drawings were featured in the Paris Review so George Plimpton who was the editor of, of the Paris Review was always a huge uh, supporter of hers and when she when I met her which is when Patty Smith met her which was in 1969 she had come to do a big show in New York and sell her paintings which at that time sold for like thirty thousand dollars and um Valley Myers is the person who tattooed the lightning bolt on Patty Smith's knee <laughs> there you go for a little extra
0: information legendary another. Thing that i wanted to ask you about is something that i feel like we may have in common is yeah. that c- pop culturally i was raised by gay men yeah and they they made sure that i knew what the good stuff was in life in this life yeah. and i know that i wouldn't be working at bust magazine without them um can you talk a little bit about how um your sensibilities were shaped by the gay men yeah. in your early life.
1: Well, I think that the first thing is that um where everything that made me wrong in the real world made me right in the gay world. So every aspect of me, the fact that I was outspoken, that I had an opinion, that I was um uh drawn, you know, to beauty, to art, to culture, you know, this was not like the main thing in in the factory town that I grew up of, of New Britain, Connecticut, Um, which is really funny, like going back to my high school reunion that I went to last year because, you know, all of these people, they're all, you know, they're grandparents, you know, people I went to junior high school with. They don't remember anything that happened to me. They don't remember how horrible my life was and how, you know, Boys drove by in cars and screamed, you know, that that I was a whore, and how they stopped my my nine-year-old brother on his way home from elementary school and said, "I want to fuck your sister," and you know, I mean, I lived a very, very my my thirteenth year was a year of extraordinary brutality, and um, and and then would laid the groundwork where then when i was 16 i was raped and then then i was raped like 5 times as a runaway because as a runaway you have no one to appeal to like you're you know you're you're there you're it's you know there's danger and 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 you don't know how to navigate those rapes did not define me mm. i'd never allowed anyone to define me and that is the strength of it all um Debbie Harry, who's an extraordinary person, and is a friend. She, she's just published her um, memoir, mm-hmm. and one of the things that people had a great deal of trouble in her memoir. I introduced her book at her book party um, at Town Hall last week, two weeks ago, and people had a problem because she, in in the book, right away at, near the beginning, she tells the story of um, that they were held up by this person, broke in, and um, raped her and then stole all the guitars. And in the story she said, yeah, it was really a drag, but the thing she was really upset about was that all the musical instruments were gone. And people had a problem with that because in this Me Too world, she's supposed to be a victim, Mm -hmm. you know? And like I always say, I was never a victim. I was a target. Mm. A target is very different from being a victim. And um, I have huge issues um with with the direction the me too movement went into uh because originally when it started i was like oh wow okay now we're finally going to talk about this stuff that i've talked about in my work a lot
0: i I was going to bring that up as well the fact that you're if you have a personal brand it's that you always tell the truth yeah and so i would think that the me too movement and all these women and mass telling their truth would resonate with you as sort of a foremother of it. It did
1: resonate with me until it was hijacked by a small group of people, women, who wanted to say that somebody looking down your blouse as they walk by you on the subway is rape. And I'm sorry, as somebody who's been raped with a gun in my mouth and other places, I can tell you somebody looking down your blouse on a bus or a subway is not rape you know as in in my show bad reputation i talked about it that as a child i was told that if i was raped i would have no value i mean this was before i even knew that i had a body that could be entered right the nuns told me the same thing that if i was if i was raped i could never be made whole again then the feminists of the second wave feminists of the 60s told me the same thing that if i had been raped i was absolutely damaged and could never be made whole again it's crap It's not true. I want to stand for that. I want to stand for that for women who've been raped. Let's go back. Let's go back to what we were just talking about. So,
0: yeah, I was asking about the gay men. Oh, the gay men. Yes. Okay. So, what happened with the gay men was that
1: um, I thought I invented homosexuality,
0: (laughs) (laughs) right? Because
1: I've always been bisexual since I was like five years old. I nobody told me about homosexuality. I imagined it within myself first about girls. And then I kind of had that thought about boys. Like, I met boys like boys, too, you know? So then when I, when, I, when I met my first gay person, who was a man named Larry Biscano, actually, I'm doing a show about it called Old Queen. Ah, yes, you would like this. The opening monologue says, when I was 14, 15, 16 years old, hanging out in the gay bars of Hartford, Connecticut, Boston, Massachusetts, Providence, Rhode Island, Provincetown, New York City. My goal every night was to get to sit at the table with the old queens, a very difficult invitation to get for a teenage girl when the world fag hag was only a pejorative, only a put-down, fruit flies, the delusional unwanted women who troll for love among gay men. But the old queens recognized me because of my curiosity, because of my wit, because of my acceptance of their superiority to me. The gay men knew everything that I wanted to know. They understood everything about the human condition, something that baffled me, and I needed the. I needed the. Oh, God, I'm forgetting the monologue. I needed the understanding that lay beneath their barbed comments. The old queens did not tolerate banality or mediocrity, and theirs was a fierce and unapologetic. Intelligence and wit, why just sitting at a table of old queens in a darkened bar or in a fluorescent coffee shop raised your IQ 25 points. And unbeknownst to me, I was on a trajectory to become an old queen, and now I am an old queen, but in a culture and society that has lost the means of measuring the value of old queens.
0: So I hope we never... We never devalue old queens.
1: No, but I, I dedicate that to you, my dear, because you were one of those girls who it wasn't easy to be accepted by gay men because they are nasty, nasty, and they're not that nice to girls, to be perfectly honest, and they make fun of us, and they make fun of our body parts, and it's not nice. So this guy, Larry Biscano, we didn't like each other. That's how it always starts with gay men. The person you you just no you just don't like them they don't like you and you don't like them then you become best friends and then he started taking me to gay bars and what happened the first time that he took me to this gay bar two things happened first there was a transsexual woman at the door and she let me in which I couldn't believe right I had to climb out my window at night and then Aggie this queen and Larry would pick me up and drive forty miles to Hartford to this gay bar we walk in then Larry says um. Oh, what did you think of Natalie? I said, she's very pretty. He said, anything else? Yeah, she's a boy. What do you think of that? She looks like Elizabeth Taylor. (laughs) Because I was like kind of a, a little gay boy, even as a child. You know, I always had that kind of, I was always looking at movie stars and you know, hairdo magazines. And, and it was all about that kind of thing. I was like, picked up all of that language really quickly. And I was like, you know, standing there carrying on. And these older gay guys were standing there and they said, what is she supposed to be? And I went, I'm a fag hag. And Larry and Aggie jumped in and said, no, no, she doesn't know what she's saying. She You're not a fag hag. No, fag hags are horrible. No, you're not like that. You're different. And I'm like, going, ah. This is what a fag hag is. And, you know, I mean, all young people want an identity and I, I didn't have an identity. So I took on the identity of fag hag, you know, and I am a proud fag hag and continue to be. And as I like to say, haven't you noticed there isn't a big fag hag movement? There should be.
0: <laughs> and, well, what do you think about the fact that because of RuPaul's Drag Race and you know, because of Pose you know, that everyone is using? Drag queen vernacular all the time. Well, y- is you know, that cool? Is it not cool?
1: Um, I don't care. I don't see. I'm an anarchist. I don't care what people do. <laughs> but what I would care about, mm-hmm. and which is sad, is they don't have the context. They don't have the context. For instance, everybody's on and on and on about Marsha P. Johnson. Mm-hmm. Marsha P. Johnson was a very good friend of mine. I ended up when I went to the Frida Callow show at the Brooklyn Museum. Because it was all her clothes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I waited for that show. I went upstairs to the Stonewall show, and then there was this film called Happy Birthday, Marsha P. Johnson. And I sat there, and within five minutes, I was in a complete rage. Because Marsha P. Johnson was homeless. Marsha P. Johnson was a street beggar. Okay? Marsha P. Johnson was not trans. Marsha P. Johnson was in drag half the time, and then the other time, she was Malcolm. And she said herself, I'm a queen. She was a queen. She was not trans. She would not want to modify her body in any way, and she she enjoyed the times when she was being that male person. And why don't you show Marcia the way she was, with a busted lip and a black eye, standing on the corner of Christopher Street saying, spare change, spare change, so a dying queen can go see Penny Arcade tonight at the ballroom, and we loved Marcia. We loved Marsha because Marsha never lost her dignity. That's why she was Saint Marcia. but these same people who want to venerate Marsha today would ignore Marcia if they actually saw her in the street, and this is the problem, which is my issue that I take all the time when I'm talking and thinking about Black Lives Matter, because every time I see somebody laying in the subway and it's a young or old, black, indigent person, the people who are stepping over that person, some of them are black rights, you know, black lives matter people, and some of them are racist. And you know what? They're stepping over that person the same. They're not giving, they're not going to that person and saying, here's $10, get something to eat. I have just a lot of issues because people virtue signal in a number of different ways. And one of the ways they do it is by rewriting history. And they've rewritten the history of Marsha. And I won't let that happen.
0: Downstairs here in Industry City, where Bust magazine is, there's a beautiful French bakery. And on, uh, during, Gay Pride Month, they sell cookies that are decorated like high heel shoes that say Marsha P. Johnson on them. That's really nice, and I think that they're cool. And I've taken pictures of them and been like, "This is great." And then sometimes I wonder if I'm commodifying a real person and if it's gross. No, but the the point
1: is, open your eyes. The next time you're wandering across 14th Street, next time you're on Eighth Avenue. And see all the trans kids who have come into New York and, okay, some of them are trans and some of them may not be trans because right now trans is a way to get some acceptance in certain queer circles. Mm -hmm. But those homeless trans kids, that's who Marsha P. Johnson is. The ones who are high on crack, the ones who are in rags, the ones who somebody just beat them up and they have snot coming out of their nose. That's who Marsha P. Johnson was half of the time. And like, once again, I'm going to repeat it. He loved Marsha because no matter what, she always had her dignity. She always had her compassion. She always took her money and gave it to people who had no money. She took her change. So, you know, as far as the, the thing with, with gay men is, um, it, it just gave me, you know, a place to stand and to be able to see what was possible in the world. Like I always say to people, because right now, like, you know, young people think that they bought into the idea that they're the coolest people in the world, Mm -hmm. which is of course impossible. You know, when I was 17, 16, 17, 18, 19, people tried to say how cool I was. I would say, you know, I think somebody who's like 40 who has like an apartment and has like a record collection And like has food.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Food is so cool. You know,
1: it has like weed and like has traveled. I think they're cooler than me. You have to honor your own trajectory. And that is a very hard thing to do. Now, look, you know, I was like, you know, a Warhol superstar when I was 19. I was, you know, a star in the Playhouse of the Ridiculous. And that was a big deal then because it was a very small scene. Like downtown New York was like probably 500 people, you know. It's not like now, right? And I left. I left. I went to Europe, and I have a five-page letter from Patty Smith that would curl hair if people read it. But I always maintain, and you listening to this podcast can't see me, but they can see me, and I still retain this mm-hmm. child purity. And I love that's my inner wilderness, mm-hmm. and you don't want to lose that. You don't want to give that away, and that's why you guys have to come and see my show longing last longer because it's a refutation of nostalgia. what does that mean that means every time every time I say what's being lost in the world socially culturally then somebody's gonna say oh penny you know um, the world's always changed you know New York's always changed penny you know if you were 25 you'd think the world was great now you know you're just bitter because you're old you know penny you're just being admit. Nostalgic. But there's a difference between nostalgia and longing. Longing is a, nostalgia is a wistful, sentimental yearning, not only for the past, but for who we were in the mm-hmm. past. Mm-hmm. One of the ways nostalgia functions is it protects us from feeling the reality of who we actually grow up to be, the reality of what we settle for. Longing is a persistent sense of loss that attaches to ourselves, our history, our values, our desires, desires that are not material. Nostalgia is connected to the past, but all of us, everyone listening, we will all long into the future. Longing lasts longer. So sometimes people come to the show and they think that the show is a critique of young people. Some of you may be listening right now and thinking, Penny Arcade doesn't like young people, because that's like the default, shallow interpretation no my problem is about what is being done to young people young people are having their youth stolen from them and they don't even know it like you're being told oh if you know if you're not successful by the time you're 25 you're screwed that is bullshit because to go back to why i went to amsterdam yeah i'm not somebody who was going to be all that by 25 Patty was, Patty was all that by 25. And what we celebrate in Patty pretty much is who Patty was when she was 25, you know? And Gay Gazun, I think Patty, you know, Patty was one of the most remarkable people I ever met at that time before she became, you know, famous. You know, fame changes people, you know? It changes things, you know? You know, some people, Fran Leibowitz has talked about this. Some writers can only write young books. Right. They can only write when they're they young things, you know? And then you must, person in the bedroom listening to the podcast, you must honor your own trajectory. You can't compare yourself to other people. You see, this is the beauty. The true beauty is we are in competition with no one. No one. If you are completely yourself, this was the whole foundation of Bust. The whole foundation of Riot Girl was about being yourself, becoming yourself, taking the time, taking, uh, It's look, I'm not going to tell you it's pleasant. No, it is not pleasant wanting to be somebody, wanting to be something, wanting to be known for something, wanting to be good at something. It's not pleasant. No, I went through that all through my 20s. I wanted to speak, and I didn't have anything to say. And then, lo and behold, I turned 34. And had so much to say, (laughs) and have been saying it ever since, and continually find new things to say. And I'm 69, long after many people have stopped doing anything, you know. So this issue of honoring your own trajectory is very important to me.
0: I saw you a few years ago, and you were performing live in Tompkins Square Park. I was in the day. Yeah. It was either for the Howell Festival. Oh, for the Howl Festival. Or probably. for like there was like a festival to remember the Tompkins Square riots. Yeah.
1: Was- yeah, they're probably there well something. I mean, or a bunch of
0: anarchists. Yeah.
1: You know, I I, I never say no. There were anarchists
0: <laughs> definitely involved. And do you know the artist, the mosaic artist Jim Powers? I
1: adore Jim Powers.
0: So you were on the stage, Jim Powers was in the audience and I was next to him. Uh huh. And I really did get the sense that you two know each other. Yeah. But you were doing a, um, a monologue that was ironic yeah. where you were saying, like, get rid of all these buildings. They're ugly. They should all be multi-million dollar condos. I want all of these buildings to be multi-million dollars oh, dollar condos right now. And Jim Power's freaking out yeah. he was screaming no no like as yeah. if you were torturing him
1: Yeah, i was
0: and he was like he wasn't he didn't seem happy he literally yeah, seemed I'm like sure he, was he was in un- agony
1: well you know the thing is that you know um what can i say the other day on facebook you know i was talking about people who just spent the past 25 years snorting coke Obsessed with celebrity and fashion are now like social justice warriors. Like in one year, you know, twenty-five years, they weren't interested in anything. Now, all of a sudden, they're social justice warriors. And I said that that the that call out culture was backing us right into the right wing. Somebody wrote me, who knows me, Penny? Are you right wing? Like many narratives have changed, so people used to understand sarcasm. Mm -hmm. People used to recognize satire. Irony, people don't anymore, you know? And this has been like over the past 15 years, people just don't recognize it. I mean, so I think that we are now suffering from that thing that you've all heard about when there are too many deer in the woods. Oh,
0: like no. Like everybody's
1: a little nuts now.
0: What are your hopes and your plans and your dreams for 2020? It's almost it is. a new decade. Okay. So 2020
1: for me, is like so exciting because I'm going to be 70. Which yes. Unbelievable. I mean, I'm telling you. Except that when I look in Vogue magazine or in Bazaar and they have that section, beautiful at any age. Uh-huh. They have 20, 30, 40. Even 50. 50 <laughs> 60, 70. And then there's no more. Ah! We're on that conveyor belt. How old are you? 35. 35 or 36. Yeah. 44. Yeah. I forget every damn So, year. I mean, I know, of course you do. But the point is that we are on that conveyor belt. Uh-huh. You know? Like when I turned 60, I was in my glory. Because being 60 is like being a teenager. It's unbelievable. It is like the best. I mean, I've been all the ages. And let me <laughs> tell you, 60 60? is, oh, it's incredible. It's incredible. Well, I always say, absolutely nothing happens between 20 and 27. And then you're grown up. 27 to 39 drags on like summer when you're 9 years old. It's never <laughs> over and nothing happens. 39 to 50 lasts 3 weeks and everything <laughs> happens. 50 to 60 lasts 4 days and even more happens. But then when you're 60, if you have a rigorous inquiry into your own life, you get to start all over again like you're 20, only this time raised by yourself. Your own values, your your own mother, you're your own father. You know, you can't complain. I mean, people complain; they blame their family, they blame their child. By the time you're 50 years old, you cannot blame. You created the life you're living. You cannot blame your past. You can't blame anything. You know, life is life is really, it's long, and it's short. That's the that's the cruel. It's <laughs> the rea- long and short of it. Yeah, the it, of it's yet. the it's the cruel reality of it. But um, there's no way that we can accomplish and be and become everything that we want in one lifetime it's too short i mean look at an olive tree olive trees give fruit for 2000 years you know that's like 20 times the length of a human lifetime right it's an incredible thing you have fewer responsibilities you're no longer trying to win anybody over or you know you know what i mean you've you're probably not that boy crazy or girl crazy as you were, you know, everything kind of, because as I say in Longing Lasts Longer, eventually your biology will drop you as it drops us all. But at that point, you will have the unprecedented opportunity to rule your own life instead of being run by your hormones. Unfortunately, by the time most people are 50, so disappointed by what they thought life was supposed to be, by what was advertised to them that they just give up, missing all the fun. So it's super great to be this age. Um, But, you know, I lived through the AIDS epidemic. 300 friends of mine died from AIDS. I am not going to be so crass and ungrateful and disrespectful to all those people who died to, like, complain about being alive and being older, you know, that's not going to happen. But it's also such an adventure, right? So it's very important to learn how to be old, which is my game right now. Happiness is a decision you make, okay? It's not magic. It's not like some people are happy, okay? Go out and look at kids playing. They're happy for no reason. You make a decision to be happy. I'm even happy when I'm miserable. So I have three work in progress shows that I'm doing. Um, I'm writing the memoir which will not be you know 80 million words um and it's not in like cuz it's not in chronological order because I'm that person that I just have to say everything or else I'm not
0: telling the truth or whatever
1: um I'm doing that I have the three shows I'm traveling a lot but mostly I'm being happy
0: penny arcade you're the greatest thank you I'm so happy that you are here we're going to take the briefest of breaks yes and when we come back we're gonna ask you you're gonna ask Callie Callie's gonna ask me what you watching hey podcast fans did you know that the best place to listen to your favorite shows ad free is Stitcher Premium they've got Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend My Favorite Murder Wolverine The Lost Trail Bitch Sesh The Fantasy Footballers Science Rules with Bill Nye and more all without commercial interruptions and we can hook you up with a sweet deal To get one month free, go to stitcher.com slash premium and use promo code POP-TARTS. That's stitcher.com slash premium, promo code POP-TARTS. Before we get back to the show, I want to tell you about our new sponsor, Wolfie Vibes Publicity. If you're working on a new project and find yourself in need of a kick-ass publicist who communicates well and works tirelessly to get you the coverage you're after, consider going to Wolfie Vibes Publicity. Wolfie Vibes Publicity is a female-owned and operated boutique PR firm that will get you where you need to be, and you'll even have fun in the process. Get in touch via WolfieVibesPublicity.com for details and quotes, and tell them that Pop-Tart sent you.
2: Essentially, I started it because every female comedian I know was amazing and hardworking and hilarious. And I knew would make great podcasts. And every male comedian I know already had a podcast and was doing their own thing. <laughs> Hi, I'm Kate Moldenhauer, the founder of More Banana Podcasts, a comedy podcast network entirely produced, hosted, and led by women. We have shows about politics. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Let's Get Civical. When yes. the Supreme Court put stuff on their calendar, they used the word docket. So their
1: Google Calendar is a docket. Is a
2: docket. So technically, I have a docket. You have a docket. We all have, we all docket. have a docket. Sex?
0: Welcome to My Vagina, I'm Jessie Karen. This is Rebecca Frank. What were ancient Greek dildos made of, Jessie? They were made of padded leather and, yep, anointed with olive oil. Yep. <laughs> scams? I'm Kayla Rodney. Sue Smith, and, <laughs> and we, we love scams. scams. She tells them she's a German-Russian heiress, and she seems like she has a lot of money, and people buy it. That's yeah. basically what's happening. So as soon as she got a loan, she would cash it as much as she could out before anybody caught on.
2: Amazing, so smart.
0: I mean, so smart.
1: I mean, it's terrible, but like to take that money out immediately because women
2: are actually pretty versatile and funny. More Banana is a network of women's voices, unfiltered and uninterrupted. Find us everywhere you get your podcasts and learn about our growing roster of shows at morebanana.com.
0: And we're back. Hello. We're back. Penny Arcade, I want to know what you're watching. And when I say what you're watching, it's a broad question yeah. talking about books, yep. movies, television, music, music videos, yeah. podcasts. If it is pop cultural and you're consuming it, we want to know about it. What you're watching?
1: Well, right now I'm watching Baby on uh, Netflix. I think it's on Netflix. It's an Italian, um, it's dubbed in English, uh-huh. and it's about teenage prostitutes rich girl pros- teenage prostitutes in rome wow i'm also listening to a uh an audiobook when when venice ruled the seas because i'm going to venice at the end of the month oh nice yeah so this whole history of venice when it was a superpower and it's really true this takes
0: my breath away i was only there one time but yeah. it literally ripped the breath from my body. yeah it's
1: such an amazing place and i kind of now think of it as the because it's it's all about decay mm. you know and I feel goth it's very goth and I keep thinking it's like the it's the East Village of Italy <laughs> that's kind of what I decided and I'm I'm excited that I'm gonna be there in November when there's like less tourists there mm, yeah and then also that I'm um, a couple of friends of friends who live there who are really from there which is very rare because apparently um like there's only like can't remember, but it's a really strange number, but I think it's something like only 85,000 people live there and every everything else is is tourism. <laughs> like what's happening to New York? <laughs> like what's happening to Manhattan? Um, what else? I'm, I'm reading a bunch of books. I'm reading a book on the plague. Oh. Yeah, The Black Death. That's a really interesting book. Um, I'm reading another book about Venice uh, that's kind of an exploration of the architecture. You know, so I'm kind of getting primed for that and like how to like walk the back streets and all of that. Um, I'm always reading Jean Reese. G J E A N Reese. R H Y S S S maybe just one S. Go and get Gene Reese. If I had read Jean Reese when I was eighteen, I would have been a writer immediately, I think. Um, I always try to watch murder. I have Mm -hmm. pretty severe PTSD from the rapes that happened to me and from being homeless as a teenager a lot. So I know most people would like devote their life to getting rid of their PTSD, but there were so many other things I wanted to do. So I just kind of deal with my PTSD by, I leave a light on in the living room, I take the 300-pound kitchen island, push it in front of the door, and then I just murder myself to sleep, watching different serial murderers. and staying on top of it you know um i watched that ted bundy Mm -hmm. murder thing okay now you tell me what you're listening to well let's do
2: Callie. okay Callie, i'm gonna keep it
1: short we do it you should have written me and told me because you have you got to write it out i hate (laughs) you too um well dragula's back
0: dragula that's
1: a a drag Mm.
2: show but with horror special effects It's awesome. Yeah. So it's like really cheesy. No. It's like bloody and horrific. What did you say? You said. Horror special effects. Horror. So it's like. I thought you said poor special effects. Oh, no. Yeah. Horror. Really good. So my critique of this year is there's none as good as last year. Last year there was like this one. I can't remember the name of the one. She had like made this circle that had like a face. That mm. was stretched on it, and then she pulled it off, and it was like oh, yeah, it yeah. looked like she took her whole
0: face off. Yeah, there
2: was some really good stuff in the wow. last one, and then there was one that always wore this like burlap sack mm. on their face. And so you can watch the season three uh, on Daily Motion.
0: Really? Yeah, because I don't. But have the like- other ones are are on Netflix. Is that right? No,
2: they were on
0: Amazon. Amazon,
2: right? And I don't have Am- Amazon anymore, but originally right. it's on. The Now Network, I believe. Uh-huh. But anyway, I got it on Daily Motion. Yeah. And um, there are, though, this year, they do have a trans contestant for the first time. There's a drag king and an assigned female at birth. Okay. So they really shook it up with the work full spectrum. But season did not compare. There was one really good, interesting take at the beginning of this person that was all in, like, a stuffed suit. You know that other, last season we had the one with the nose, always had the bird nose. Oh, oh, yeah. And they like all had these signature things. I'm not really, I'm only on episode four now. Okay. And then uh last night I saw The Watchmen on HBO. It was amazing. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't follow comic books at yeah. all. And mm-hmm. I'm not a superhero yeah. movie person. So yeah. I was a little miffed when my husband wanted to put it on last night. But then mm-hmm. I got fucking hooked. So fast. I was a little lost at the time jump because it's based on a comic that came out came out in the nine in nineteen eighty six and was based in like current time but a different it's like current time but a different America. So it's mm-hmm. like parallel time, but everything is different. Right. And in this one, it starts out with um like white supremacy is totally rampant. And it starts off with a flashback of the Tulsa massacre of 1921. Wow. And so then I was reading today that a lot of people did not even know that that was a real event. They thought it was just
1: for. Just made for this. Yeah. Wow. So the
2: people got a real hit of history right there. Yeah. Which I thought was amazing. Um proud to say that my school taught me what the fuck happened then. So I right. wasn't in the dark. But where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, Northern Virginia. Oh. We're, it just happened, you know, yeah. It just worked out but like that. But you didn't know each other. No. no.
1: Oh, wow. Well.
2: Um, so then, in it, the, it, the main character is played by Regina King. She's so fucking good. I'm still a little confused because I only saw the first episode and have no concept of these characters and they don't really introduce them. They just kind of throw them at you. Yeah. And all the cops wear masks. And But basically, I was hooked from the jump because the storytelling is so on point. He, I'm well, in for the next. Never thought I'd like a superhero thing. Great. But I'm here for
0: it. Yeah, you're what making me want to watch it. I'm so glad that you asked. Um, I am living for Law & Order SVU this season. Oh, I haven't um, seen it yet. I S- haven't seen it yet. Has it started? S- it has started. It's had, How can that be? I believe four I know, episodes so far. Oh, God, I'm going to watch them all tonight. You could go back. Um, I love Law & Order SVU so much. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you who do not know, Mariska Hargitay is on the cover of the current yeah. issue of Bust. I did the interview with her. It was amazing. She was iconic. And when I was doing that interview with her, she was saying that for this like landmark 21st season, they're now the longest-running drama in television history, yeah, they are. that she is able to do things as an executive producer who is like helping to shape the show, she's able to do a lot of things that she has wanted to do in the Ooh. past was not able to do before and she wasn't able to tell me specifics at the time can you tell and now now i'm seeing it unfold
1: yeah but it's always been i mean the past 10 years have always been really progressive Mm -hmm.
0: they've been progressive however i was not a fan of the last season like even when it's not good it's good yeah but last season this dude um Philip Winchester was playing ADA stone. Oh yeah. And it was like, yeah. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Like he was like this dude who was like, he he was a drag. He was such a drag. And he was like having just like these very tacky, like threesomes when he wasn't prosecuting rapists. And it was like very (laughs) weird and off brand. Yeah. But he,
1: but he was, he was, he was
0: not a good actor.
1: And well, he was also not well. I mean, his character was like
0: a very deeply damaged. Yes. And, and then when his sister got blown up, or it was um schmaltzy, yeah. Um, and it, it was not my favorite season, but they he's gone, bye bye. Oh, and and uh, now instead, Carisi is in the ADA's office, oh, which really? is really exciting. Oh, find- love I that. love Carisi, uh huh. And um, they tackled Weinstein right off the bat, really. Like, they the most recent episode that I loved so much. Um, had to I do wait to go home. <laughs> with the um with the restrictive abortion laws being enacted yeah. in the middle of America. They right. have this whole art, this whole plot where a teenage girl from, I believe it's Ohio, gets on a bus to New York City to get an abortion because she can't get right an abortion from a rape um right. in her town where she lives, yeah. and so it's really this amazing case that really goes into like it's very explicitly feminist very yeah. specific about what the world and what would the look issue like per, uh, if mm. roe v wade is overturned and what the erosion of our reproductive rights even with roe v wade right still now in placed, right now seven what seven it's doing states. to women right now yeah so wow. like this is what marishka hargitay was signaling to me i know for a fact that she is like getting that explicitly yeah. feminist agenda out there in a way that is going to change hearts and minds in america she's one of the most popular television stars oh definitely out she's there amazing. and she I is doing the work and i'm here for it and i love it um i've been watching a bunch of music videos that are really good huh. um my bangers du jour are madame gandhi's new love video it. for top knot turn up another song that is specifically and explicitly feminist and you could dance to it all night long she's an amazing her. percussionist uh-huh. love everything about madame gandhi yeah Missy Elliott has a new video yep. out. She just dropped yep. for Drip to I did not see, I, I mean, I saw the video, but I didn't see any
2: press on that at all.
0: I know, she's just like, here. And this video came out a little earlier this year, but I just caught up with it this week, is Rhapsody's video for Ibtiaj. I don't know if I've seen that one. Which but is the one with D'Angelo her. and Jizza. Yeah. And it's so good. She's amazing. Um, <laughs> The last thing I want to tell you is I saw a live music show That was great. How was it? My very favorite queer country band, Karen and the Sorrows, had a record release party in Brooklyn for their new album, Guaranteed Broken Heart. And it is great. Queer country music is here, people. Yeah, It's here to stay. And they had this unbelievably mind-blowing band open for them called the Ebony Hillbillies. I did not know that black queer country was a thing. And it wow! Exists. I didn't. Well, yeah. Is it? Wow! Well, well, and I they mean, are you the have, last yeah, African American.
2: Who's little? Whatever.
0: Oh, oh yeah. Uh, Old Town Road. Yeah, the right. brother. Yeah, absolutely. A man that Beth. But this band is known as the last African American string band in America. Oh, there, wow. there are people, Callie and I's age, all the way up, through people possibly in their eighties yeah. in this band. They have banjos and upright bass and violins yeah they're kind of culled from all over but i think the lead person is from harlem slash queens but they're from all around there's amazing trio of women who sing sometimes back up and say they play washboards and that sounds so they have i mean they play live yes where they started out busking in New York City and yeah. they've gone all the way to Carnegie Hall. Yeah. So what I've been watching is actually what I've been listening to. And mm. that is what I've been watching. Awesome. Well, I want to thank, first and foremost, the legendary Penny Arcade. Thank you, thank so, you. Much for being so much. It's so much fun to be here. It's been quite quite wild. I know. Awesome. And exciting. I also want to thank our producers, Kate Moldenauer and Jesse Karen at More Banana Productions, our luscious audio engineer Logan del Fuego. <laughs> muy caliente logan and also to our girl gang at bust magazine who's actually here tonight while we're recording because we're on Creeping deadline Woo! uh you can find me on twitter at emily rems and on the gram at rems emily because someone took my name on the gram really you can believe it yeah so weird you can email us both I am at emilyramsatbust.com. Callie W at bust.com. And where and you can, I find you?
1: I, because everybody can write me because I love people writing me. It's You can write me to my personal email, mspennyarcade at gmail. Ms, like feminism, like we're hoping, mspennyarcade at gmail. And you can follow me on Twitter. It's Penny Arcade NYC. Instagram is Penny Arcade Forever. Oh, Facebook. You can go on my Facebook page, which I run like a magazine, Just Penny Arcade Superstar. I come by it honestly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And you can learn more about this show at bust.com slash pop tarts. Finally, please rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. If you give us a five star rating and give us a nice review and then write to Callie or I and say, hey, here's my screen name. Here's the review that I just gave you. We might just give you a subscription to Bust Magazine. Just like wow, that. it's that easy, people. That's pandering. Avail, <laughs> avail yourself of this opportunity. Wow, this is like <laughs> real pandering. It helps us get the word out. We super. Well, I'm duper gonna super. Appreciate I'm going to
1: really promote it. Thanks. Yes. Yes. yes.
0: Until next time. Until next time. Mm-hmm. Mwah.